When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Special treat for you guys, a bonus podcast of Sports Day Tampa Bay. You've heard us talk in the past with Trent Cooper. He's the showrunner for NFL 360 and the producer of this documentary, which airs tonight on Sydney and Chase Brown. It's called Family. It's at 9 p.m. on NFL Network, a story of two brothers who were raised by a single mom uh, in Canada, attended a prep school, St. Stephen's in Bradenton. Their story is compelling, and we have the uh, the director of that uh, and to uh, to talk to you about the making of that film, and you'll want to listen to it right now. All right, there's a special documentary airing tonight at 9 p.m. on NFL Network called Family. It's the story of Chase and Sidney Brown, twin brothers uh, from London, Ontario, Canada, who um, were raised by a single mom, uh, came to go to school at a prep school in Bradenton at St. Stephen's, never lost a game there, um, and overcame just an awful lot uh, to uh, become stars at Illinois now uh, just a day or so away from uh, hearing their names called in the NFL draft. And we're joined by Trent Cooper, who's the showrunner for NFL Network and the producer of this documentary. Of course, we've spoken to Trent many times. Trent, um, this is a great story. It's one that has a local appeal, obviously, and a tie to the to the Tampa Bay area. But um, tell me what, you know, what kind of attracted you to this story and um We'll go through, obviously, uh, all that it involves, in, including a, a host family. Um, there's some similarities to Rondé and Tiki Barber. I couldn't, I couldn't watch this without thinking about those two guys. Yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I don't know if you're counting, but this is my third time <laughs> on your podcast. So I, I don't know right. if I get like a gift. Do I get like a, I think third, third time guests get like Velcro, something Velcro. <laughs> maybe maybe a ripper wallet that has uh, Rick Stroud's go. face on it or something. Uh, yes. Gift is in the um, mail. But I love coming on this podcast uh, for a lot of reasons. One, I always listen to it and I've been reading your column uh, for, for since, since it started. So, uh, you know, I'm from the area and this is, this is fun for me to do these things. Appreciate uh, that. But also like you, you guys have been great supporters of our show. The show is actually, the show is called NFL 360. Um, I think you said I was the showrunner of NFL Network, which would be a much better paying job, <laughs> a bigger job. NFL 360, uh, NFL 360 is the show. Uh, it comes out, it, it airs on NFL Network, it comes out about once a month. And you guys have been huge supporters of it. And I really appreciate that. Uh, it means a ton to us. But this story brings us right back to Central Florida again, and uh, which is why I wanted you to know about it and, and, uh, and be aware of it. These kids are amazing and they are they're not only identical twins uh they are they are considered mirror twins mm. which which means um uh it, their features are exactly opposite as if they were looking at each other in a mirror so if one guy you know one guy's hair curls down the other's curls upward one guy you know is right-handed left-handed uh, their personalities are opposite there there's they're, so they're identical but opposite so we thought that was very interesting, but that doesn't get you on NFL 360. Uh, you know, the, 
there has to be an unbelievable human interest story uh, that really um, shows this unbelievable journey and transformation and path. And this particular piece is called Family because it asks us to almost rethink the concept of family and what it really means and, and, and how it extends and can extend beyond blood. Uh, these kids are a great example of the village that it, it took for them and it can take for many of these, these young athletes that are coming out in the draft to get them to the doorstep of the NFL. And here we are the night before the draft and you kind of look back and think of the absolute army of people, some blood, some total strangers who believed in them, uh, fell in love with them and wanted and, and st stepped up for them. Uh, and so that's at the heart of the story. That's where it got its name. Uh, but I know we're going to be able to talk in great detail uh, about the nuances of it, too. Absolutely. And it, and it begins with, um, you know, their lives and, and, and how uh, they came to be uh, their mother. Uh, was a teenage mom, uh, Rachel Brown, living in London, Ontario, Canada, as I mentioned. Um, she's on wed. She's uh, has these these identical twin boys, these mirror twin boys. Yeah. And times are tough. I don't need to tell you. Uh, there wasn't yeah. a lot of money involved. At, at one point, she's selling everything uh, to, to try to uh, uh, provide uh, a home for these kids. And, it, and at one point, um, they even become homeless. So right. um, there's some humble, humble and some, you know, some tough beginnings for these, these two kids, but she gets them involved. Of course, it's hockey town, USA. They don't play hockey. Uh, it's an expensive sport sometimes to play. She gets them involved in youth football and man, they just, they, they, they take to that uh, incredibly well. And yeah. in fact, don't lose a game in, in many football, I guess. Yeah. And just like a little more on her, you know, she says, I was 18 years old when, when I found out I was pregnant. Yeah. And she was, uh, she's an incredibly talented artist. Uh, she was, uh, she started art school uh, after high school. Mm -hmm. uh, she was working multiple jobs. Um, she's going to have these, these two boys and she's going to make it work. And she has, she has some support and help from her mom, who's amazing. And they're making a go of it uh, for the first 10, 11 years of these kids' life. And then she gets hit with a very debilitating illness right. um, that just absolutely wrecks her health and brings the, you know, the, the, the family finances, you know, it just cripples everything. Uh, it's an auto, a very rare autoimmune disease that just saps the life out of you. Uh, and I know there are lots of those kinds of diseases and they're hard to diagnose. Uh, hers, uh, and she ended up having to get uh, you know, transfusions. She had an operation to remove her spleen. Uh, but the biggest problem is she just couldn't, she had no energy. So she no couldn't strength. work. She couldn't work anymore. Right. And uh, there was a period of time. And, and, and by the way, like, depending on the length of the pieces that we put on the show, you know, it, it's like, how much detail can you go into? Right. And so I what a, one of the things I love about my job is I get all the detail. We cast a very wide net. Our interviews are very long. We're you know, we have the material to do the hour long doc. But in this case, it needed to be 15 minutes. So a lot of the things I'm going to tell you today are not in the piece tonight. Right. And that's kind of fun to be able to, to give you that extra context. But mm -hmm. uh, she said one of the things she said to me that's not in the piece tonight that I, I don't think I'll ever forget. But she said hiding poverty 
hiding poverty is a very difficult thing to do. And when she said that in my interview, it like hit me like a dagger. Uh, and, and I'm looking at this woman who, who looks no different than me and you and, and our sisters and moms and, and wives. I mean, just looks like us. And, and she was doing her best to hide poverty, not only from the outs from the outside world, but from her two boys, she never wanted them to feel less than. And so, but, and so as a result of that, you see this very strong woman who's in a, just a mess and she's doing the best she can to make these choices that, that will keep these kids on track, but, and, and hide them from this reality that they were, they had nothing. Uh, She said there was a period of time where she counted that they had moved 20 times in these oh, kids gosh. young lives wow and you think about what all that moving does you're changing schools like three times a year and all that instability what does it do to your academics i mean you it, it's just impossible to ever get on track with a teacher right. and a school so um they're you know but they're still just going with it because this is their reality this is all they know and, yeah. and when it finally kind of hit rock bottom after she got sick, they lost their home again and she ended up in a women's shelter. And I think that that's the sort of the big turning point for the kids where they just sort of woke up and said, Hey, um, we have a real gift here for football. And this could be our, not only our way out for each other, the two twins, but for our entire family. And I know that we think about that a lot, uh, with, Hey, this game's going to get me out of the struggle. Sure. And this is the dream and I can someday buy mama a house and all these things. I mean, this is, this is, this is what we think about on draft night and all that, but something about this story, it just hits harder. It, mm -hmm. It's just the way that thing about hiding poverty, the thing about debilitating an illness, watching people try so hard to make it work. And then like realizing that this is our only chance. Yeah, um, I, it's really it's compelling. It's compelling. And she has ITP, which is a disease where the white blood cells eat the platelets. She becomes, as you say, very weakened by that. Um, eventually, uh, she's in the woman's shelter. They, you know, they talked about it being being um, weird, being embarrassing. Um, yeah, it had a profound effect on them, obviously. And and, she, and eventually she's going to have a daughter and at 13 years old, these guys become the young men of the house helping her, yeah. as she says, way too much probably than they, than they needed to, but she's in that situation and in the condition that she's in, these kids grow up really fast and have yeah. to, um, because they, as she says, the little men of the house eventually, um, and I don't want to, there's skip pictures ahead. that there's pictures of them, like literally with the baby Bjorn, <laughs> right. Carrying this, this young girl around her name yeah. is Mia. And there, and the other thing the mom said to me, she's like, listen, you know, little things that don't seem like a big deal to people, like when you're 13 years old and you have to go to the grocery store to shop for the family, like that's a yeah. thing. You're that's not, a, you're not yeah. really built for that at 13. That's right. And, and there were times where like they would miss football practice to have to take care of the little girl because mom couldn't like, these are just, you're not supposed to do that at 12 and 13. That's right. But again, like they're not, I, I got to tell you, Rick, like I've done a lot of these, right? Mm -hmm. This is this one more than any that I've ever done. I don't think the subjects had ever really dealt with this and talked about it. They were talking to me about it sort of for the first time oh, wow. and they hadn't even talked to each other about it. They hadn't processed what wow. they had been through. And, and 
when I would go back and tell the mom what they said or them what mom said, they would look at me like, oh my God, like I never knew she felt that way. Like it was, it was interesting. It was like therapy. And I think part of why they haven't talked about it is they're just so wired, like the defense mechanism. And I think all of us would be this way mm-hmm. is to just bury it. And we're not, we're not sharing this with the world. We're not, we're not, we're not hiding. We're, we're not going to complain about it and make it anybody else's problem. We're just going to deal with it. And, and this is our reality and nobody needs to know about it because it's none of their business. And now suddenly they're at this place where they're like, Hey, my story could help somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, there's other people in the world. And, and we talked a lot about this with their mom and so forth. And I said, listen, you know, I know this is hard for you to talk about because you, you, you know, you've always not talked about it. But like, there's somebody else out there that's, that might be in, in the same spot that you're in and for them to know that you got through it and, and, and for others that helped you get through it to know that there's these other angels out there that are going to, that could potentially have your back. And like, like we're doing this for those people. And, and I think when we all kind of got to that place, everybody could kind of exhale and say, okay, let me, let me tell you what, how it really went down, you know? Yeah. And, and like you said, they're, they're proud boys and they, and they probably didn't have these discussions and, and um, it's great that they were willing to share their story and reveal those emotions with you. They, they did say um, that, you know, eventually, and just to skip ahead a little bit, they find their way to a prep school that's, that offers some sort of scholarships and it's in Bradenton, Florida, it's St. Stephen's um, and talk about culture shock, right? These are two kids that have grown up in Canada um, and their first sort of introduction to this new life and new family is through a gated community with palm trees and ponds and, and something that they're not really accustomed to. But you talk about family, and that's where we, we meet um, and learn about Phil and Karen Yates, um, who become you know their, their sponsor family. And it's just that. I mean, I was so impressed by by these two people. Um, I guess he's an ex-military pilot, a mathematician. The first thing they learn, and you mentioned all the schools they went to, um, just filling out sort of the forms and applications is they had a lot of learning and catching up to do. Um, right. and, and at one point, um, they say we weren't even sure they were going to allow us to come to school there because, you know, we weren't able to answer all the questions. Well, this kind of gets back to that instability, uh, mm-hmm. and all the moving around and, and what they'd kind of, you know, that having to grow up too soon, they, they had fallen way behind in school. And yeah. now mind you, these are really intelligent kids. They are as smart as any kids I've worked with, but when you're not going to class and you're changing schools every three months, like, you, you know, well behind, you're, not, you're not keeping up with, with algebra and geometry, right? You're, right? you're just trying to get the groceries and take care of your sister. So mm-hmm. um, they take this placement test and it's just this rude awakening. They're, they're, um, I was talking to Phil Yates about, I mean, there were fundamental things that like you learn in the fifth grade and the sixth grade that they just didn't know. Right. And now Phil Yates is kind of like, again, this is detail that's not in the, in the piece, but like, he's like the real life version of Maverick from Top Gun. So he, he, he is a flight instructor at the highest level of, of the military. So, so those guys are engineers, right? And they yes. are math guys, right? Mm, mathematicians, yeah. And so Phil's like, listen, I can, I can help. Like, this is, 
this is my jam. I can, if these kids are willing to work, I can help. So, so, so Phil, who is, you know, Phil and Karen are the host family, uh, mm-hmm. for, you know, via St. Stephen's, they get to work at night and they start putting in these three, four hour study sessions with Phil and the two boys at the kitchen table. And we start from way down here and a couple of weeks go by, a couple of months go by. Suddenly they're making 95, 100. Wow. They're starting to ace their classes. And they're starting to believe in, not only believe in themselves academically, but they're starting to understand and unlock that potential. And so here's what I love about this story is it's like, you know, sometimes we just need somebody to see us, right? As more than just an athlete, man. Okay, you can run a 4-4 mm-hmm. and you can make people miss. But Phil saw these guys and said, I, I see the brains. I see the power of those brains and I'm going to invest in that. And Karen... Uh, there's this this awesome night. And th- again, this is stuff they never talked about, right? So they they're all sharing in different at different times with me. And I said, when uh, one of my interview questions was, when did you start to feel like, wait a minute, this is more than just I'm here to play football, and these people are giving me a place to stay, but this is actually becoming a family, and we're starting to like actually have feelings and love, like the love that you feel for family, we're starting to have. And they said there was a night when uh, uh, it was like three or four weeks into their stay when uh, uh, Phil was cooking dinner, like like outside on the patio and at the grill. And and Karen was sitting with the guys and she just said, tell me about you guys. Like, how are you doing with all this? How are you doing with your mom's illness and with your transition and all that? How are you doing? And they were both, you talk about culture shock. Nobody had ever really asked them about them. How they were, yeah. Right. It had always been like their their role in helping take care of the situation and mom and the sister and all that. But nobody has ever said, how are you doing? And they were both kind of speechless. They didn't even know how to respond. Hmm. Uh, and, and so that's when like, so Karen is connecting with them on that level. Phil's connecting with them on this. I believe in you in this other way level. And then there's the coach. Uh, his name's Todd Crenetti, and he's kind of like so. So people from Central Florida, like you, start to know the legendary high school coaches, right? I always tell you, I played for one of them, Bill Castle, Bill Lakeland, Castle, yeah. Lakeland High School, mm. who made a profound impact on my life. He just retired this year, and we all love him and wish him well in retirement. Todd Crenetti is another one of these, like, just special high school coach who's literally put on this earth to be a high school coach and to to mold young men and change their lives. And so he uh, he meets these guys day one, and uh, they're they're talking about culture, and uh, you know they talk a little ball, you know what kind of offense this that and the other. And then there's a point where he says, "Listen, I just want to tell you, uh, uh, when you see me, I'm going to hug you, get used to it, and if we ever have any significant conversation, you know, longer than a couple of sentences, anything of significance." Uh, I'm going to finish, I'm going to finish that conversation by telling you, I love you. Hmm. And the kids are like, what? Like, they don't know how to respond. <laughs> like, what? is this guy? Like, I just met this guy and he's, he's telling me he's dropping L-bombs on me already. And uh, Todd tells this amazing story. Uh, it was the end of week one, by the way, this is not in the piece. So you guys are getting all this extra hmm. podcasty information. This is what you're supposed to do in a podcast. Beautiful. That's right. Um, it was the end of the first week of practice. 
and Todd is in his office in the locker room and he's dealing with another player who's got a situation. He's, he's putting out a fire, doing something. And he sees Sid and Chase Brown on the other end of the locker room, kind of milling around, looking down, scuffing their feet. And he's like, oh God, this <laughs> is it. This is the, they're homesick. And this is the moment where they're going to tell me, coach, this isn't working out. I got to go, go back. Yeah. And so he finishes his business with the other kid and it's just the three of them. And he, and he goes to Sid and he says, what's going on, fellas? How can I help you? And they said, we're good, coach. We're just waiting for our hugs. Oh my gosh. Mm. Right. And it, they didn't want the week to end without getting that hug. And so he gives them the hugs, tells them he loves them. They take off. And then he Todd Crenetti, the coach sits alone in the locker room by himself for a half hour, just crying. He's like, he's like, first of all, that's when I knew these kids had completely bought in. And mm-hmm. that's when I knew we, 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 we were going to connect and it was going to work. Now, keep in mind, this is, this is not a football powerhouse. So what you're immediately thinking when I tell that, when I pitch this to somebody in an elevator, they immediately go, oh, they went to IMG. No, nope, they didn't go to IMG. They went to St. Stephen's Episcopal, mm-hmm. which is like a, maybe a 2A or 3A. I hope I'm not getting this wrong. This is not a powerhouse Football it's not the program. football factory that we're, nope. yeah, that some of these big programs are. Yeah. They had never won a state championship there. They had been close uh, before the boys had gotten there and they had some good players and they have this incredible coach, but they're not a football powerhouse. What they are is an academic powerhouse. Mm. Like this is a place that is going to get you ready for college wow. and it's going to mold you as a, as, as a young woman or a young man. And, and so that's why like, they're, they were seeing Sid and Chase a whole different way and what they, what they could take these amazing young men and help mold them and do for them. Now, meanwhile, Sid and Chase are electric on the mm-hmm. football field. Not only do they have this incredible talent, but they have this uh, work ethic and competitiveness with each other. Each other, yeah. That elevates each other because they're not going to ever let the other guy outwork them and they're, they're gym rats and they love to work out and they run hills and they do all the like rocky stuff right but everyone else around them sees that and they all got to keep up so so on their youth football team it's called the uh london junior mustangs i, I love i love learning the names of teams in other countries and thinking <laughs> that they play american football in this other country the london junior Mu- mustangs went eight years without losing a game that Sid and Chase played it. So because of that thing, that it factor that they have when they're together, right? How, how, how they compete and elevate. When we get to St. Stephen's, they have to sit out for the first two games because they aren't eligible yet. And then once they take the field, I think they were losing in the first game. They had a big come from behind win in the first game they played. They rattle off 22 in a row. They never lose at St. Stephen's. And they end up winning not one, but two state championships. And again, there were great players around them that they, it's not the Sid, it's not only Sid and Chase, but like they were the X factor that got them over that hump. And when you combine that with this coach that's going to finish every sentence saying, I love you. And this top gun instructor is going to teach you how to study and care about your academics and unlock that potential academically. And then Karen, who's going to, who's going to teach you that it's okay to, um, not be okay, which is the mental mm-hmm. health thing that we're all learning about that she just intuitively understood, uh, you know, five, six, seven years ago. So it's, it's just, it's cool. And then we can, I want you to ask the next question, but we yeah, can get yeah. to the, the Illinois part. Yes, absolutely. We're almost there. And I, I, before we move on though, I wanted to ask you, cause I don't know the answer to this is do, do, do or did Phil and Karen Yates have other children? 
Yeah. So um, not only did they have other children, but those children had grown and left the nest. So Phil and Karen were empty nesters mm-hmm. and they were a little bit lost as a result of it. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I'm an empty nester now. Like it, it, it's a, it's a strange thing. You know, you have to figure out what you're going to do. And they had spent lots of time with their kids at the ball fields and being right. part of those communities. And suddenly they didn't really have one. So, so before Sid and Chase arrived in their lives, they found themselves showing up Friday night lights, watching football and cheering for other people's kids and just trying to reconnect with that world. So they had a little bit of a void there, whether they ever acknowledged it or talked about it, uh, they were feeling it. And when these kids came along, they kind of, you know, they, they have strong faith and they, you know, they will tell you there, you know, maybe there's a divine thing going on there, but they just felt like, you know, this was something that they were called to do and they did it there are some serendipitous moments um in this in this film and um they go back uh to canada and find that their mom is now living with their grandmother and they discover that not everything was paid for um at st stephen's that they have had to scrape up seven thousand dollars um and they never told them because as the mom says they wouldn't have gone back um that's that moment, that part of the of the documentary was played uh, in front of the two young men on Good Morning Football yeah. earlier uh, today. And I have to tell you, uh, it's emotional to begin with. But what was even um, more striking was their emotion watching it. Um, and they and everyone around the table made note of that, that um, there were tears. Hard. Yeah, it's, it's, tough, it's hard tough for them to, to watch. Mm-hmm. I wasn't with them when they first watched the piece i mean yeah. the, the entire the piece is 15 minutes long um, right and you know i sent it to them three or four nights ago and um they didn't respond they didn't write me back and say what they thought which every time i send a piece to the subject that i'm doing it on you know i i'm looking at the clock going well they're probably <laughs> yeah. going to watch it right now 15 <laughs> right. minutes i'm like 16 minutes from now i'm going to hear something from them. i hope it's good news i didn't hear anything from them. so i i the next morning I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm trying to honor them and their family. This is very delicate. Yeah, like, yeah, I, you know, we're, time, we're, space, yeah. but also like we're asking them to be incredibly vulnerable and tell a story that they've been taught to not share. They've mm-hmm. been taught to hide this from the world. And we're saying, right. Hey, it's important enough to share that you got, you know, and trust me and all these things. And, and when I do these interviews, man, they're, they're hour long interviews. And then I have to whittle it down to 15, like, it's very, there, there are things that are left out. There's context. Um, so it's very possible that they could look at this and go that, I mean, I, I don't like it, or you didn't get it right, or it doesn't honor my family. So it is tough for me to wait for the feedback. Right. And I didn't get it immediately. And um, so I, the next morning I text their agent, um, David, who's a friend of yours, he said to tell you hello. Um, and he, um, he said that, that they said it's really good. And then they just sat in silence and it was very emotional for them. It was really hard for them to watch it because they're just kind of seeing their life yeah. on the screen. It's brutal for anyone. And they're feeling their mom's pain that they hadn't really seen her confront in this way. They're feeling shame. They're feeling guilt. They're feeling inspired. They're proud of themselves, but they also just feel... I think the closest thing, like, you know, that feeling when you, 
when you go to therapy, I mean, not all of us have done it, but like you just pour your soul out to somebody and then you leave. And my wife's like, how do you feel? I'm like, I feel like shit. <laughs> you know, I just, <laughs> that didn't make me feel good. Like I had to just yeah, lay right. it all out there, you know? And, yes. and I, so this has been hard for them um, to do, but they, they understand that it's now their turn and their time to pay it forward. They're on the other side of it now. Mm-hmm. And they want to help the kids from back home and wherever that are going through the same kind of stuff. They want them to understand that, uh, hey, there might be there might be some hope here. And there's some people out there that you're not even thinking about that care about you and love you and believe in you the way Phil and Karen did us and the way Todd did us. And like they're now saying it's our turn to share our story so that it might inspire others and and so they understand the responsibility of it and and that's why they're 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 so committed to sharing and i, and I want to say one other thing we talk about stuff we can't couldn't include so there's an entire other host family that got involved you don't even know this part of the story so mm-hmm. phil and karen yates make this phenomenal impact on on chase and sydney brown and and they're winning state championships their lives are changing and then suddenly phil gets a phone call He's offered a job uh, in his home state of Texas. This is the job he's been waiting for for you know years and years, and it's finally being offered. He's got to take this job. Like mm. there's no not taking the job. So this family has to move and go away. And suddenly, Sid and Chase, wow, who have finally been vulnerable and have finally you know found this connection. Now they're losing it again. Oh my gosh! And there's a second host family. Uh, uh, the cross family who steps up and takes them in. And so they have an entire second experience with a oh completely gosh. different family who see them in a different way and they connect in a completely different way. And it helps the kids grow even more. And, and, and this is again, part of the long version, but not the short version. Uh, and so I, I, I wow. really like, that's why we call the peace family because there's so many other families that, that, become a big part of their lives yeah you see them addressing uh kids uh, of, of a certain age of young age and and telling them that there are people um coaches teachers others that that will help you out of whatever circumstance you're in and and they want to inspire these kids and they want to be want to be helpful to them um yeah. and so they get the message uh, it, it's clear they wind up in illinois playing for brett bielema who has to feel like one of the luckiest coaches on earth that these two guys uh, wind up in his program because they are incredible men and and at this point incredible football players i mean to think that um you know sydney is uh among the hardest hitting safeties in the big 10 and then you have chase who am i right about this leads the nation in rushing yeah he didn't finish the season first but for a, for most of the season he was leading the nation in rushing he finished wow. with uh 1600 and something yards Mm. rushing uh and you know it's the big 10 you know we're not talking about division yeah. division three we're talking about the big 10 yeah uh he's electric and and he you know he, he you saw i don't know if you saw him at the combine by the way like i learned this from kyle brant because he was with me the last time we were on your show <laughs> let's remind your audience that this is a football this is based in football let's let, let's remember why we're, we're all here right the draft right. is tomorrow night starts That's tomorrow right. night Holy cow, would these two kids look good in Tampa? Oh, and right? and to your point, they have made, as we know now, one of the visit. top 30 visits, both of yeah. them together in Tampa oh. Bay. 
It would be an incredible I, story. I was so happy to hear that, that, you know, not everybody gets to do those visits, right? So how many, how many prospects, the, the max is 30, right? That's right. And I don't know how, if the, if the Bucks used all 30, but I believe they did. Two of them are Chase and Sidney Brown from the University of Illinois. Now let's just tell the listener how good these kids are, right? So, so Chase uh, is the running back and uh, like we said, most of the season he was leading the nation in rushing. Uh, he could catch. Oh boy, can he catch out of the backfield? He's electric. He's he's low to the ground. He's got that um, jump lateral thing, jump cut, that, yeah. that jump mm-hmm. cut thing that that not everybody can do, and it's so easy and effortless for him. And a nose for the end zone, and he, you know, and then he, you got he, the uh... you got the brother Sydney, who's the captain of the defense. And by the way, that defense was the number one defense in the nation most yes, of the year. I think yes, they finished yes. third in the nation, but for most of the year, they were the number one defense in the nation and an incredible defensive backfield. He is the uh, the, the straw that stirs the drink. And it's like, you, you guys know I'm a lifelong Bucks fan. There's like some of those John Lynch type hits mm-hmm. where he just dismantles dudes. Very uh, physical, yeah. They also compare him a lot to Troy Palomalo. He had six picks last year. And I think he had four. He might have had four the year before. So it's a lot of interceptions, uh, a couple of pick sixes, uh, and the two of them. There's this great radio call uh, that you know, the the night that uh, the game that got them to their bowl bid or whatever is on the backs of you know the running from Chase and the interception from his brother. So it's just so to have. And this is in talking with their college coach. It's like to have them both. But to have them on opposite sides of the ball, right, where they're always competing against each other. Yeah, like it, it's it's just it's just elevating your entire team. Team, mm-hmm. and you know, I went into their locker rooms, and you see they sit across from each other. You know, their lockers are like it's just, they compete on everything. They compete <laughs> on who's going to go get the 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 Gatorade from the fridge faster, you know, <laughs> watching them in the weight room. We were in their weight room. I was talking to their strength coach. He's like, I- I'm going to miss these kids, man. Cause when they come in the weight room, it's just on like everyone, no one can take a minute off because they are holding everyone to another standard. Uh, and, and we talked about, Hey, they never lost a game in youth football, not just one season, eight seasons. They never lost a game in high school in a whole different country, whole different coach, different roster. Then they come to Illinois. We're not talking about Alabama here. We're talking about Illinois. And Illinois had one of their best seasons in, in a long time. And, and, and I've really like been inserted onto the national stage largely because of these guys. So I start to think about Rondé and Tiki. Mm-hmm. And you start to wonder, what if, what if this is the next Rondé and Tiki? And, and what if you had them both? <laughs> on the same team what would, well like what's that worth yeah i i mean it would be great for both sides of the ball obviously I, and and like i said they're they're the funny thing about the bucks um is that they have a need a need right now for for a safety and a mult and a guy that's versatile like that that can come down to the box play the run and play the pass they're moving antoine winfield jr back to a free safety position Rondé barber did exactly that position at nickel corner um, and, 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 and a guy that yeah. can move back to safety. So we don't know. And then running back, I mean, listen, I, I don't know where these guys are projected, probably third round down, I would imagine, well, but well, no, no, I, I think say. Sid, I think Sid is a, I mean, every now and then you see people talk about him sneaking into the bottom of the first round. Okay. But I think Sid's probably a day two guy. Um, okay. And that's the second, 
second second round. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I listen. I I have to also be very honest with your audience. I am not and I am not the X's and no. I'm not, I'm not Daniel Jeremiah from the NFL Network here. And neither am I. I do not study uh, the draft. I, the I'm a I'm are. a story guy. I'm a human guy, but I'm also a huge fan of you know the Bucks, and I'm a huge fan of of you know guys who have this level of character and what that X factor can do. But anyway, right. I, I, I think change pe- the team. people will say, yeah, people will say that, that Sydney, the, the, the safety is a uh, probably a second rounder. Uh, okay. And then, and then chase could be as high as a third. He could be right. a fourth. And, and mostly uh, that lower round thing is just the way people devalue running backs. These running days. Backs, it's yeah. not, it's not, an, now, I mean, you know, Jason Light says the team's got to get faster. Both these guys. So, so Chase was a four four three, and Sydney's a four four seven. I mean, these guys can fly. <laughs> they can exactly. flat out fly. And I, I was on the hill. They, they trained on a hill. You'll see it in my piece tonight. Yeah. It's so cool. So we always talk about the hill, right? Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've been, I've been doing these features for a long time. In the back of my head, I always wanted to shoot the hill. Like, where am I going to find the hill? <laughs> And uh, so when I'm with them in Canada, I'm like, hey, you know, is there any like unorthodox way you guys train, you know, flipping tires, dragging tractors? Like, what's the what's the cool shit? Like, how, how can we I need to shoot my Rocky sequence here. And then oh, should we just have this hill. The, the, we've been running that hill. Our whole, <laughs> I'm like, ding, 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 ding. There's my hill. So so this hill is like a uh, a bowl. If you, if you think of it in ski terms, it's like a bowl. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a hill that surrounds the perimeter of this bowl, and it is so steep. And we go there, and the sun is setting, and they're like, "You see all those um, those lines? There's so like every twenty yards, there's there's a there's a dugout um, path where people are running the hill." He goes, "Before us, those paths didn't exist." Wow. Like, what do you mean? He goes, "We started running this hill." when we were like 10 and 11 and 12 and then other people would, would see us and they would start running. Now it's a thing. Now the whole town does it. Wow. Right. And, and I'm like, but we, you know, we, back before us, there was no path. We cut the path. <laughs> we wore the path. Yeah. They, they cut the path. And uh, so we ended up getting them not only to run the hill, uh, by the way, it's freezing. It was like 20 degrees and they're like, let's go. We're running the hill in 20 degrees <laughs> and it was icy and it was all, but all the kids from the youth, football league that they played right for that the, they ran it with them and it, it, you talk about a rocky moment it's just so cool it's a cool shot there's yeah. another moment in this film before, uh, and, and I, it's backing it up just a little bit to you know, illinois but during the time they were there uh covid happened and canada right. was closed and it was hard uh, if not impossible to leave that country or go back and forth between the united states their mom makes it uh to champagne urbana one afternoon and drives all night and surprises them. I'm telling you, if you've got tissue, you better grab one right there because yeah, that's pretty cool. It, it is really a great moment that was captured there. So, so try to imagine the love these kids have for their mom, right? And the and the love and sacrifices the mom. They, they're all everybody's sacrificing in this story. Yeah, and there is no shortage of love, uh, and everybody knows what's at stake. It had been two and a half years since the mom had seen them play. Mm. Uh, and, I, and I don't even know if she'd seen them at all. Uh, maybe, maybe she'd seen them once in the two and a half years. 
that's a long time. That is. I mean, they they became men in that in that at that time. If they oh, they became men when they were thirteen, but they really, I mean, they physically transformed. Mm-hmm. They're superstars. They're on television. So their coach, uh, Brett Bielma, uh, he knows this. And Brett, by the way, like, you know, we we titled the piece "Family," and I didn't know this. Uh, but when I walked into the University of Illinois football facility, the Smith Football Training Center in, in Champaign, Illinois, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. There is a huge, like lit up marquee in the lobby that's like, I want to say 30, 40 feet wide and five feet tall. And it says the word family. Oh boy. <laughs> but they don't spell it the way we spell it. They spell it with an extra L. Because that's like the Illinois way that you spell mm-hmm. family. It's like mm-hmm. t- t- the homage to Illinois. Yeah. And I see this and I'm like, oh my God. Like sometimes, like, you know, the we light talk bulb about goes off about the title and yeah. And it's like, well, and also theme, right? So when, yeah. when you're learning, like, when you're kind of learning the nuance of storytelling, and I know you know it because you're such a great writer, but it's like, okay, what's this? What's the on the surface? What's the story? Uh, and then what's it really about, right? Mm-hmm. And what's it really about often reveals itself to you while you're making it. I mean, you think you know, like you kind of know, you might know, but like if you're open to it, it'll find you. And here it is, man, family, right? Uh, so, so Brett, their or Bielma, their coach, who uh, I don't know a ton about him. I think he had. Doesn't he come from the Belichick world a little bit, right? Doesn't he? Do you, Do you know much about him? Um, I mean, I knew, I knew him when he coached at Wisconsin because my wife went there. There's a Wisconsin helmet behind yeah. me. But aside from that, I don't know his, yeah. his tree, so to speak. But he did have an association but, with Belichick at one time. Yeah. So his family means more to that coach than any coach I've ever been around. Mm. I mean, it is, it is in the DNA of their program. And so much so that he has created this family with two L's, you know, uh, logo branded thing is all over their hats and shirts and everywhere. And you, and so uh, he's clocking what's happening with their mom and the separation and the distance in the two and a half years. And he's like, mm. I got to get this mom here. So he's the one that is, is behind the scenes orchestrating this again, wow. not in my piece. Cause it's 15 minutes. I couldn't even include the cross <laughs> right. family, let alone the, the Bielma story. Right. Uh, but um, so what he does and this is kind of funny and cute is he, he tells the boys, Hey, uh, tomorrow it's the last home game of the season. And, you know, we always do, they call it the Illini walk and it's, you know, it's that walk into the stadium that the players make before they're getting dressed. And it's a very big tradition. And there's tons of fans that wish them well, as they're going in to get dressed and go play their game. This is like one of those great traditions in college football. And they say, Hey, we're going to have some camera crews, uh, kind of, following you guys on the Illini walk and just do me, you know, do me a favor, just sign, sign a couple footballs. There's Mm going to be some kids along the side and you can sign a few autographs. We're going to get some good content. This will be cool for the, for the social media and stuff. So this is the coach telling Sydney and Chase this. Okay, fine. So, you know, Sid's like, Hey, I let the hair down. He's got the Troy Palomalo hair. This is good content. You know, they're signing balls. And then they look up and at the end of the row is their mom who they haven't seen in two and a half years. And it's just like, oh, my God, because it's not just, oh, there's my mom. It's what my mom did to get me where I am and what she gave up starting at 18 years old and starting yeah. at, you know, all the homeless stuff and then still fighting. I mean, you mentioned it before. You're talking about 
you know, the school in Florida, which was not a football powerhouse, that was a school that was going to transform them as men, right? Mm-hmm. And this is in many of these schools, they, they have lots of ways to create scholarships uh, through community foundations and such where, you know, a kid, a family, it's always need-based. It's not about talent. It's about, you know, what, you know, what the actual financial need is. But a lot of them, like, they still have a, a, a basement where they say, hey, nobody goes 100% for free. There's still that little piece of it mm-hmm. that, that the family's got to come up with. That's just the way it works at a lot of these schools. And it's not because they're cheap or whatever. It's just the deal. Like, and, and you know, financial aid covers 90% of it. Whatever's left, you got to come up. And And that number might be small, but if you're living paycheck to paycheck and like, that's a big number. I don't it care is. what it is. If it's yeah. $400, if sure. it's 7,000. And, and so for her, it was like all she could do. And so she never told them that she was being, that, that she was responsible for paying that small piece of it. She didn't want them to feel that guilt. She wanted them to, in their minds, they should think this is a hundred percent paid for so that they have the freedom for the first time in their lives for it to be about them. Mm-hmm. I don't want this hanging over their heads. Right. And I want that burden. I'm just me. And, and when I say me, I mean, Rachel, the mom, and then her mother, Nancy, who they all call Nan, they were going to figure it out. And I'm telling you, man, Nan's husband, uh, who's no longer with us, you know, he sold his collection of rare guitars to get them tuition money. Mm. Mom, the Rachel, the mom, um, who grew up, a. uh, a champion figure skater and, and one of the many uh, gifts and skills she had in addition to art, she was an awesome figure skater. She used to teach figure skating and in, in Canada, that's a big deal. The figure skating oh, yeah. in Canada is a huge, she's selling her skates. They're doing everything they can to keep those kids in that school that was going to change their lives in Bradenton, Florida. And, and so again, when they finally told the kids, it was like after they had changed, they had already transformed their lives. They had become men. They had become academic powerhouses. They had won their state championships. And now it's like, there's only one thing left to do. Go kick ass at Illinois. Like, let me, let me get to the show. Let me get to NFL. Cause, cause you got us this far. Now it's our turn. And by the way, they, they didn't have to pay for college because they got the scholarships. Right. So, ma- so mom and grandma and everybody were done with the financial part. Now it's Chase and Sydney. There's this great uh, scene in the film where Chase says that just changed my whole mentality is like, I don't care how hard it is to make it to the NFL. Like I'm getting there. And, and you start yeah. to see that the Rocky montage and the weights and the lifting and then. Yeah. So. They want to take care of everybody now uh, that it's taken care of them. Uh, we'll get you out on this. And I don't know the answer. I don't think anybody does look uh, Ronnie Tiki Barber uh, running back defensive back, similar identical twins ended up in two different cities. Yeah. Had a profound effect on both of them in different ways, uh, where they were drafted being apart for the first time. It would be a great story. If these two are drafted by the same team, it's also probably not a high probability. Yeah. And this is pure speculation. I don't know if they've talked about it or thought about it. uh, When you've been around them, how do you think it'll be if they're not on the same team growing up, uh, together uh, in the same city. They have always been I, on this. I think they'll do the same thing Rondi and Tiki did and the same thing, you know, Devin and Jason McCourty did. They will continue to hold each other accountable. They'll continue to be each other's rock. Yeah. 
they'll continue to elevate each other uh and they'll talk every day you know it's if not five times a day and they'll facetime right. and, and and they'll figure it out because yeah. they're these guys are winners it's yeah. like they're not gonna let that you know it, it's funny one of them did say to me uh that in one of the team meetings they did uh one of the gms or 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 front office guys or whatever how's it going to be if you guys aren't on the same team they just started laughing like really after all we've been through you think that that's <laughs> going to be gonna deter us that's going to yeah it's like we'll be fine man we've been through a lot of shit we can handle this and it'll make us better and anyway, we I, all of us are rooting for them to somehow end up on the same team but but we know it's you know the odds of that yeah. are so slim yeah um, well it, it would be phenomenal it is already a great story and you have a chance to watch it NFL 360 tonight at 9 p.m. He's Trent Cooper, the showrunner for NFL 360 uh, and the producer of this film called Family, Chase and Sidney Brown. And thanks so much, Trent, as always, for joining us. It's always a treat for us. And I can't wait to to watch this piece again with my family. And thank you. And and one last piece of business between me and you. Uh, So the last time I was on your show, uh, we were talking about the the documentary we did on the the war in Ukraine uh, with the Ukraine League of American Football through through Kyle Brandt that documentary is called Who If Not Us. Uh, we found out last week that 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 doc is nominated for three different Emmys, and the show NFL three hundred and sixty is nominated for ten this year. And I I just want to thank you again for getting behind that project because it, it literally like gave us. I don't know, weirdly, it just put wind in our backs. I, 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 and I, I know that you think you're, you know, you're, you're this, you know, Tampa guy, but like that, that was a, that was a national story, an international story. And you saw it early, you believed in it and you, you gave us a lot of confidence and it was a real pleasure to, to kind of be on your show talking about it. And from there, all sorts of incredible things have happened. And I just want to thank you for, for caring about it and and being in our corner again. Well, at any time, as you know, and and we do have that connection, uh, you being a, a local guy, if you will, we, we kind of our adoptive uh, uh, big star, big shot guy uh, at uh, NFL 360. But that, that film is, is still moving to me. Anytime I see it, it's aired uh, other places as, or, you know, other times as well. And I was lived part of the story, you know, in Germany um, when Tom yeah. Brady made time for those, uh, the, the wives and the children of, of those soldiers. And it is a, uh, it was an incredible job by you, by the whole team, by Kyle, obviously well-deserved 10 Emmy nominations overall, three for that alone. Um, you know, and I will do this anytime that you want to come onto my podcast. It's an open invitation. Um, we're really excited to have you and best of luck. We look Thanks, forward man. to seeing this, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your Thank time. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 